We are in Romans chapter 8 um, because we're taking a time out in, in April. We're taking a time out to let our hearts and our minds imagine for a little while. I told you last week that Easter was an invitation to hope. It's an invitation for us to begin to believe and to think about what Jesus accomplished for us on Easter weekend. We're taking four weeks. Last week, we looked at the picture, the totality of why was Jesus's ministry different. What did he do? What did he accomplish post-resurrection? This week, we're looking at what theologians and scholars call the session, the session, not the, the budget crisis, no funds for health care, contentious kind of session, a different kind of session. Next week, we're going to look at the second coming of Jesus. And then the last week of April, we're going to look at the fact that eventually this whole thing is headed to a brand new, a recreation of all things. We've borrowed some imagery from C.S. Lewis. We've sort of leaned on the capital of his imaginative genius. And he called this place, the place that we live in right now, the here and now, the Shadowlands. To begin to think about that for a moment is what the gospel does. It invites us into, you know that your eternity, the place that you land and rest, it's a lot like that one song, I think I heard it one time, heaven is a place on earth. Have you heard that? Someone should write a song if they haven't. But in a sense, a lot of us, when we think of heaven and kind of the future and the hope, we think of just like floating. I heard someone say once that people view heaven as a seventh dimension floaty place, right? Where you're just kind of like in a toga and you don't know why. That's not, that's not the picture that we get. The hope that we have is a solid hope. You know where this is going when Jesus comes back? like a boss, you know where it's going. He's going to come back and rule and reign and he's going to usher in a brand new place. A place where all of the things that we enjoy and love here and now will seem like they were just whispers, like they were child's play. And I love that thought because I had just the juiciest, most wonderful steak this week. It was so good. You ever had one of those? We're just eating it and you just think to yourself, this is an experience. I just, right? I don't think this has ever happened, but I even thought, what if I Instagram my food? <laughs> JK, right? LOL. Everyone has that experience. But I think to myself, right, you know what it means? It means that Jesus, Jesus is going to usher in a day where, you, where I will eat a steak and you will eat food and you'll say to yourself, that steak back there was a rice cake. That's what you'll think. Substance is coming. Not shadows, but full light. And we want to just let ourselves ponder that world a little bit. We want to think about it. Today we're looking at the session. What is Jesus doing now, here and now? We've said Beyond the Shadowlands is kind of the title of the whole series. I think if you wanted a subtitle in sort of TV TV terms or movie terms, it could be like Beyond the Shadowlands, dot, 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 meanwhile in heaven. that's That's kind of where we're at. Meanwhile in heaven, that's what we want to pause and look at in this particular section. I'm going to start reading in verse 31, down through 39. This is a a popular section of scripture, or at least it's probably been heard before, partly because it is glorious. It's one of my favorite sections. There's a stability and a strength here that is beyond compare. And I want you to know, right tucked down into the middle of it is one of the sources of that stability, and it's what we're focused on today. This is the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, 31st verse. What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray. Father, what shall we say to these things? You've given us a kindness, an affection, a love, a stability in Jesus Christ that is unthinkable. And we confess to you that when we read these words, it stirs our hearts, our imaginations, our souls. We often feel unstable. That we are tempted to put our trust in money or relationships, status, work, And all the while, you've been providing for us a rock in Jesus Christ, a hiding place, a place of stability. Thank you. I pray as we consider and let our minds wander and think about what Jesus is for us here and now, I pray, God, that you'd meet us in this place. Holy Spirit, come. Do a kind of deep spiritual work in us. Something that goes beyond just a speech or just some singing or just being with friends. We want more of you. God, we want more of you, to see you more clearly in what you are for us in Jesus. So help us. We are those whose sight is dim, whose ears need to be dug for us so that we might hear. I pray that you'd help us, you'd meet us, And we'd fall in love more with what Jesus does and is doing for us. We ask it in his name. Amen. When we talk about the session, the session, we're basically saying, where is Jesus now? What is he doing now? And I don't know about you, but I have a an affinity for some of these kind of shows sometimes that go back and point back to the past. And then, have you ever watched these shows? They're usually just sort of like terribly done on a cable channel somewhere. Like, where are they now? And you can go back and realize you're older than you thought, right? And all the things that you loved when when you were a kid, you follow up with them. Yeah, whatever happened to old so-and-so? We have less of that now because Facebook forces it on us, right? Everybody knows what's up with so-and-so. So much so that it's awkward when you meet them. I haven't seen you for 10 years, but I know the names of your cats. That's a little weird, right? But this vibe inside of all of us, where are they now? It's why so many of us share and think about like the Saved by the Bell reunion, right? Oh, wow, they're alive. Mr. 
building. Wow, right? Like, where are they now? And sometimes it's painful. Like, you think to yourself, where are they now? That, oh, where's that sweet little kid from Home Alone? Remember him? Oh, he's in, he's in, he has a cocaine problem, right? Like, sometimes where are they now is a hard question. Don't really know. I thought of one uh, this, this week because I'm, I'm watching the Masters. I love, I love golf. Jordan Spieth has a four-shot lead, right? He's going to tee off today. And I watched a video yesterday that was fascinating. Somebody was 14 years old. I interviewed him at a golf tournament in a local news station. And just as confident as can be, cute little Jordan says, well, I'll tell you what, my goal is to win the Masters one day. That's what I want to do. I want to the, win the Masters. And I imagine that the guy behind the camera and the little reporter walked away and just thought like, how cute is that little Texas boy? You want to win the Masters, little golden bear, right? Like teasing him. And where is he now? Well, he's got one round left. Where is he now? And one of the questions that we begin to ask, one of the things that we begin to think about is what is Jesus doing for us here and now? Meanwhile, in heaven, what is happening? And Romans chapter 8 has just given us this, this precise and profound little window. This isn't the only text that shows it, but it's this little window of what Jesus is doing. He's at the right hand of God interceding for us. He's at the right hand of God interceding for us. This ministry, the present ministry, what Jesus does between the time that he ascends and goes back to heaven and when he comes again, theologians, scholarly, smarty pants people call the session. And we just want to discuss for a while today the session. What is happening in this period of time between Jesus accomplishing the redemption of his people and when he comes back to make all things new. I'm going to give you just four aspects of the session. Hopefully this is a help to you. We're going to talk about the time of the session. The timing of it. There's another word that I think is better for it. And we'll get that when we just explain it. We could say the tense of the session. The tense of it. Second, we're going to look at the work. What is, what is he doing in the session We're also going to look at the place of the session. Where is he physically right now? Where is he and what does that matter, if at all? So we have tense, we have the place, the work that he's doing. And then we're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to ask the question, so what? What benefit is it to you that Scripture tells us where Jesus is and what he's doing and where he's doing it? What benefit is it to us? The benefits of the session. We want to take a few seconds and look at it. The first point that I want to make relates to the timing of what he's doing. And I I want you to look very, very clearly. Sometimes the verbs matter, right? The verbs matter. Verse 34, I think, is the central part of this, this passage of confidence for us. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. That's what? Past tense. If you're one of my kids who are trying to figure out the English language, which is extremely difficult, they might say, who was deaded, right? He was deaded. You get get what I'm saying? Because dead, usually at ED, and then died. You know English is confusing. Did you know that? Until you watch someone try to learn English, we, we are messed up. We really are, the way we speak. That's past tense. More than that, who was raised, past tense, I want to consider this, this little phrase, who is 
Jesus is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The timing of the session means he is doing this right now. The work of Jesus is ongoing. And I think this matters because when we proclaim hope to the world, we don't want to give them just the historical facts of a past accomplishment of Jesus. We don't want to point just to a future hope of Jesus. Do we have anything to offer people by way of hope today, here and now? That's great, Christian. Thanks for telling me about a first century sacrificial system and your, your boy from Nazareth. Thank you, but I have problems today. I'm going to sin tomorrow. I have needs. They're happening in the here and now. And the question of what Jesus is doing now answers the question, is his work ongoing? Is it present tense? We need a present tense gospel. That's what I mean by the tense The fact that the session is happening now means it's a present tense one. This is what a guy named Tom Wright says. N.T. Wright says, he's a a scholar in England. He writes masterfully and beautifully on some aspects of the gospel. Other ones, not so masterfully, at least in my opinion. So you got to be a little bit careful. But this is the point that he makes. Although this letter, and he's writing about Hebrews chapter 7 at this point, has much to say about Christ's redemptive work on the cross in the past, once and for all, it also emphasizes his present work for his people. His saving mission complete, he now supports and sustains us through his intercessory ministry. Day by day and hour by hour, Christ prays for us. When we begin to ask about the gospel in the present day, we're talking about day by day and hour by hour. And we need this more than you think. We need this more than you think because we don't learn the gospel in this way. Did any of you take foreign languages at a certain point? You're an American high school student, so I think you had to, right? At a certain point. At least you you, you absolutely had to. How do we learn languages normally? When you begin to learn a language and they start to define the the system of verbs and nouns, you always learn the language in what tense? The present tense. That's where you start. It's always the present tense. So you learn words like tango, right? ¿Cuántos años tienes? Not how many did you have, not how many will you have. How many years do you have right now? We begin to learn languages always in the present tense. And that's normal. And most of us, that's exactly where we stop. Can I get an amen, right? You're like, I was in it all up until the old, like the past tense stuff and the future. And then it gets confusing. The only thing I remember from past tense Spanish was fue. Fue. Is that right? I think it means like went or something like that. And so I realized very, very quickly that's the extent of my past tense knowledge of the Spanish language. It doesn't get you very far. You can go to Mexico and say fue a lot. It doesn't help. We learn languages normally in the present tense and then figure out the past tense or the future tense later. It's one of the reasons where, why people who speak English as a second language, you have to figure out the tense of what they're saying by context. I come to America by train. Today? <laughs> like, like right now? I come to America by train in 1952. Oh, okay, right? I get it. It's past tense. And of course, if they were, if we weren't, we didn't have such an annoying and hard language, they would figure out, I came to America. 
1952. We need a present tense gospel because we learn the linguistics of Jesus exactly the opposite of this. You know that it's a danger for us. We learn a past tense gospel first. Not a present tense one. We learn a past tense gospel. You tell children and young kids in Sunday school and your own soul, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was raised from the dead. And all of this happened as a historical fact 2,000 years ago. You're learning it in the past tense. It's all back there somewhere. And you can spend a lot of your Christian life trying to grasp for feeling and meaning of what Jesus was doing way back there. And sometimes history is hard to get excited about. Some of historians are just, no, history is the best thing in the world. Anyway, I don't mean, I don't mean history is bad, right? But I mean that the point of Jesus is not to live only in what he's done in the past. Jesus is for you. He's working on your behalf in the here and now. We learn the linguistics of the gospel in past tense, and then if you're super spiritual, you start to learn crazy and weird words like eschatology, right? And you might learn about the future, and you'll argue about it and make poorly made movies, right? I mean, like you, and write books. So you, you argue about these things, and yet I think very few of us, if we're honest, You can get to a place of maturity in Christianity and in the gospel and the thing that's the hardest to do is to explain to someone why the hope of Jesus is for the here and now. What is he doing now? And that's why this topic is so important. Meanwhile, in heaven, what is Jesus doing on our behalf? That's the question. He is working We need to remember the session because it's not institutionalized for us in a holiday. We have holy days for everything he did in the past. Christmas, yes, virgin born, away in a manger. That was the worst tune of all time, but you know what I mean. I was going to sing it. Away in a manger, right? We know that. We know the old time story. Easter, we just celebrate it every year. It's coming in the calendar. Whether you want to or not, you'll remember what Jesus did in the past. Present tense ministry. We must remember this or there's no energy or excitement or motivation to come into God's presence with God's people. The present tense ministry of Jesus matters today. We came to worship. Is he alive? Is he going to meet us? Are we in God's presence? Is he here? Is he working on our behalf? When Tim has us confess our sins in the middle of our songs, does it matter? Is it going anywhere? That's the question that we're asking. In time... The tense of Jesus' ministry is present, and that really, really matters. The second thing we're going to look at is the place of it. I think the place of where Jesus ministers matters greatly. I know I said these out of order in the introduction. I said work first. I apologize for those of you with precise note-taking ability. For me, it wouldn't matter because I would still be catching up. Place. The place of the right hand of God to us sounds like just kind of a a figurative alliteration. I mean, obviously God does not have an actual right hand, right? It's probably some personification going on. But I want to submit to you that the fact that the scripture mentions over and over and over again that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father is not a minor detail. 
The Jewish people had been waiting for thousands of years for a Messiah, a Savior who would come and inherit a position of strength and honor and dignity and rule and kingship at God's right hand. It's one of the reasons when you're reading through the New Testament that Psalm 110 is referenced so many times. Peter stands up at Pentecost and he mentions it in his sermon. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This position of right hand place was a tip off, an indication of a place of rule and of power and of influence and intimacy. You know what that means, right? Like he's my right hand man. Has anybody ever said that since 1926? I don't know. My grandpa used to say that on the farm. Oh yeah, you know, Johnny, he's my right-hand man. And everybody just kind of knows what that means. Why do we know what that means? It means that person probably acts on the authority of the person they're serving. They act with the resources of the person that they're serving. They have the ear, the intimacy, this connection to the person that they're serving. It's a person who they trust. And this makes sense, of course, right? Because Jesus himself predicted that he would take this place. It's one of the things that got him killed. It's one of the things that he would not shut up about, and it got him murdered. I want to show you Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, near the end of this narrative, Jesus is standing before Caiaphas. He's before the priests of the Jewish people. They're inquiring of him, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Are you the one to come? And note what Jesus himself says about the place that he's going to take. Verse 64 of Matthew 26, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You know what happened next? Crucifixion. The high priest says, blasphemy, you have blasphemed. How dare you, Jesus, say that you will inherit the spot of power at the right hand of God. You see, everyone knew, had the lingo down, they understood what he was claiming. He was claiming that he was going to take the place of Messiah. He was going to finally enter into the place of influence and power that had been promised for so long. And this kind of language is consistent throughout the New Testament, If we did a, where is he now? Not Macaulay Culkin, but Jesus of Nazareth, right? Where is he now? And you look through the New Testament to figure it out. Every single place is consistent. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to show you just one instance. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It instructs us of where Jesus is and why we ought to seek him there. It matters to us. Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, in the present, is seated at the right hand of God. He is in a place of power and influence. He's doing a priestly ministry for us, and it matters to us. One of the reasons we're concerned today with the place, the timing of what Jesus is doing is because Colossians tells us, seek the things that are above. This leads to the very next question, the one that's important. What in the world is he doing there, right? Like Joseph Biden, what in the world is he doing there, (laughs) right? Oh, snap, 
I went there, right? I don't know. I mean, for real, like the vice president, what is that guy doing? Not just him, but like any vice president. That's one of those jobs, right? You vote him in and then like, tell me right now five things the vice president does. Uh, right? I had a political science in undergrad and I'm still not exactly sure. I know he steps in and breaks a tie in the Senate, if that ever happens. I know that. I know he'd be the president if the president died. I don't, I don't know what else. He's got, he's at the right hand. The question we could ask next is, okay, Jesus, you've inherited a place of power and prestige. What are you doing with it? What's happening there? And so we want to look at the work of what he's doing. This is a precise definition. I think that I could basically say two things that Jesus is doing. I'm going to read a precise definition to you from one of my favorite systematic theologians, Burkhoff. He's a Dutch guy. Two things Jesus is doing. He is always a sacrifice for sins. He is there as a perfect, pure lamb. He is consistently absorbing the blows that come with our sinfulness and our faithlessness. He stands always as a mediator between us and God as a sacrifice. There's an atoning work, and then there's basically an interceding kind of a prayer ministry work, and that's what Burkhoff outlines here. Here's what he says. Christ is continually presenting his completed sacrifice to the Father as the sufficient basis for the bestowal of the pardoning grace of God. He is constantly applying his sacrificial work and making it effective in the justification and sanctification of sinners. So he's there because of our sin. That's the first thing to think about. Constantly dealing with our sin. But second, moreover, he is ever making intercession for those that are his pleading for their acceptance on the basis of his completed sacrifice and for their safekeeping in the world and making their prayers and services acceptable to God. These are profound, profound statements. One of the things that Jesus did, we highlighted it last week, the reason his offering was different is because he was a perfect, pure sacrifice, accepted and approved of God. He brought the offering into the altar, laid himself down, and never got up. It never had to be redone. He is both the crucified and the living Lamb of God, always before God, pleading our case for our sinfulness. He's taking the blows eternally for us and our sin. He absorbed the wrath on the cross and he stands ever to remind us of the fact that he absorbed it all next to God forever. That's what he's doing. It's why 1 John chapter 2 can say, if you sin, if you sin, brothers and sisters, you have an advocate before the Father. I always read that and think, how diplomatic of John, if you sin. (laughs) Right? Or just if. (laughs) Hey, brothers and sisters, did you happen to fall into some sin the last two months? (laughs) Right? No. When you sin, you have an advocate for your sin before the Father forever. Jesus walked into the sacrificial system, got on the altar, and he tore everything else down and said, this is finished, it's done. But then more than that, there's this mysterious, this mysterious kind of thing of him drawing near to God on our behalf, almost whispering our needs, pleading our case, sustaining us. I don't know how to describe it. The Jewish people around this, this time had some sort of a, had an idea that the angels, their ministry was to carry our prayers before God. There was a constant 
parade. And angels were the only being that could sort of be a mediator between us and God. And they would carry the prayers. Specifically, the one who had like the ear of the Father was the archangel Michael. It's one of the reasons that Hebrews makes such a point. Jesus is better than the angels even. He carries our prayers, our needs, our concerns, our wants straight to the Father through him. Hebrews chapter 7 gives us this picture kind of combined. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. You don't need a new high priest. We don't need another one. Jesus will never die. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. You see that intimacy thing? Who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus prays for you. That's an amazing thought. Sometimes I think that things sound so simple and so profound at the same time, I don't know where to go with it, honestly. Here's what you do. Stand before the people of God and tell them, Jesus prays for you. Wow. You ever felt encouraged? So, hashtag so blessed by someone when they say to you like, I'll pray for you. And you sense they might actually mean it not just Christianese lingo. Like, what? You're actually going to pray? I confess so many times. I have a sincere desire. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. I try to be better at that, to not give people the impression, like, tomorrow morning at my 5 a.m. vigil, I'm going to print out a picture of your face and all of your needs, and I'm going to pray. <laughs> I'm going to plead for 20 minutes before the Father above, right? I want to actually pray for people. It's a loving thing to pray. You have one. If you were in Jesus Christ... It is as if every single moment of your existence, God is speaking to you through Jesus Christ. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll plead your case. You have an advocate. You need something, I'm going, I'm I'm here by the Father. That is the work that he is doing. John Frame put it this way. My favorite professor at seminary. He said, what is the resurrected Christ doing right now? He is interceding at the Father's right hand. Even now, he is thinking of us, bringing our needs to the Father's attention. This is so simple and so deep that it needs to simply just be, just be pressed down into us with a kind of awe for a little while. What does this really mean. And yet scripture is full of this language. That what Jesus is doing in some ways, he is both working as an atoning sacrifice, but also interceding on our behalf. The question is, what benefit does this have for us then? I wanted to show you the time. You need a present tense gospel. You need to offer a hope to people that is not based in only what Jesus accomplished back then or only in what he'll do in the future, but in the here and now. We've seen the place of it. If you're going to influence the Father, he's in the best place to be, the right hand. And you know what he's doing. He's absorbing our sin continually, forever. The living lamb, 
He's praying for us. So the question is, what is the benefit to us and how do we respond? Almost like Romans 8.31, right? What then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? The first thing we should think about is that Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, his session means that we have the ear of the Father. We have access to the Father. We have access to him. Romans 5 says, if we have access then, peace with the Father through the grace in which we now stand. Hebrews 10, therefore, because we have access, let us draw near in full assurance. We have the ear of the Father. That's an amazing thing. You know, every year Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the history of the world, he hosts an investor's banquet, a luncheon thing where he gives a speech and talks about the company. And usually they will auction off a lunch with Warren Buffett just to have his ear, just to get his ear, to talk to him, to speak to him. It can go for up to a couple hundred thousand dollars. If you read business and networking books, right, you're trying to pitch a small business and grow it, what do they say? Like, here's what you got to do. What if you step into the elevator? What if you step into the elevator and like the king of your business is right there? You got to get that elevator pitch down, right? Speak in slogans and sound like a nerd, right? That's what you need to do. To have the ear of someone influential is a big deal. What the session means is that in Jesus Christ, the glorious, powerful, creating being at the center of the universe listens to you. You have his ear. And that is an astounding thought. You know who helped me think about this thought? This last week was my my son, Reed. He's four And I picked him up from pre-K this last week. And he must have fallen at some point on the playground. And he had one of those tiny little scratches that for an adult is just kind of the kind that you just sort of like kiss it and say like, it's fine. But for him, it's like just short of childbirth pain. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's just like, just cannot let it go. It's just like in the car. No, but seriously, look at this on my knee, right? And we got home and then he disappeared for a while. I didn't know where he was and I, I looked around the corner and he was sitting in the living room. And I kind of walked over to him and he's got this thing now where he, where he wants privacy all the time. It's like he just learned that word. I want some privacy, dad. I was like, <laughs> like, okay, you're four, right? So I went back into the kitchen and then he kind of walked in later a little bit sheepishly, but I could tell he was a little bit better and he was kind of proud of himself. I said, Reed, are you okay? Is everything fine? He said, yes. I told the God about my knee because Jesus helps me. That's what he said. Jesus helps me and I prayed to him and you know what, God? He hears me all the time. All the time he hears me. And I'm thinking like, I love my Sunday school teachers. (laughs) Right? They're telling him these things. He always hears me, he says. And then because, I don't want to get like, sort of like, oh, our kids are great pastor stories, right, of kids. I said, that's awesome, Reed. You should pray some more, right? You can pray. You could pray all the time. Maybe you could pray today for lunch. He looked at me and said, no, I will pray next Wednesday. <laughs> so he, he got part of it right, right? He got part of it, he got part of it right. And just so that I wasn't too encouraged, like he was just this budding prayer monster, He described the benefits of Jesus and then said, like, next Wednesday will be okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And I think this helps to remind me 
These are funny stories. These are four-year-olds wrestling with, what does this mean? God hears you. Who is God? What is happening? I completely confess to you, I treat God exactly like Reed. And I think a lot of you do as well. Do you know what we say to people? Hey, come be a Christian. It's awesome. The God of the universe, he created everything ex nihilo from nothing. He can speak stars into existence in universes. This God is powerful. He upholds everything. All the matter they're trying to figure out that keeps atoms together, the electrons, the energy of the universe. It's all God. And you know what? We say very piously, that God hears you. You have access to him. He cares about your most intimate needs. He counts the number of hairs on your head. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of times we know that, we say that, but our prior prayer life says, ah, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. The benefit, it, it's, this is like, how do we even list this in one of the benefits of Jesus at the right hand of God? Here's one of the benefits. You can pray and God hears you. How much that should make you run to the Father with your needs. I had a guy say to me one time in a sincere desire to help me. I'm thinking, how do you, how do you grow in spiritual disciplines? And how do you get more control over being consistent in the things that you want to be and do? And, you know, we all have like, we all have a spirituality inside of us that's sort of like New Year's resolution you, right? And then they have, you have real you. I'm trying to figure out how do you get there. He said, you know what helps me with my prayer life is sometimes when I'm stressed, subconscious, conscious worries, conflict with people. I listen to all the things that I'm telling to people that bother me, the things that I'm interested in, whatever. And then I just pause every once in a while and I say to myself, if God gave me everything I prayed for, what would change? And I remember thinking to myself like, ouch, (laughs) ouch. How lackadaisical sometimes I approach this gift. What access we have. We have the ear of the Father. And I know that this shouldn't be like a God will only meet you if you ask him. That's not how God works. But he invites us to ask, right? Basically, the point of the New Testament on prayer is ask, 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 ask. Not, yeah, I remember five months ago I mentioned that one time in in prayer. One of the benefits of the of Jesus at the right hand of the Father is the ear of the Father. The other thing is the presence of the Father. You can know that you're reconciled to your Father. Now because of sin and the distractions of the world and a million other things going on in our, in our life, I really believe we don't understand how profound this is, that we have access to God. But you've been created in his image and there was a time on this earth and we'll return there one day when one of the gifts of life on this ball of dirt was to walk with the God in the cool of the day. Just the presence of someone. If you've ever been separated from a loved one for a long period of time, it's not a small thing to say, I just want to be with them. I just want to be able to see them. It's one of the painful, horrible, terrible, terrible things about death. You know what presence is like. You don't have access to it anymore. You just think like, I just want to be with. 
Whether you know it or not, every single person has been designed with a connection relationally to the Father who made them. You've been designed in his image. What Jesus restores to you is very real presence. You are in Christ and you can experience oneness with God. That's an amazing gift. You have not only the ear of the Father, but the presence of the Father. More than that, you have the resources of the Father. It's why Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own Son... How will he not also graciously give us all things? Jesus has been commissioned by the Father to give and to do all that it takes to keep you, to keep you in grace, to keep you forgiven, to keep you walking faithfully. The full army, the arsenal of God in Jesus Christ is dedicated, every resource of his being is dedicated first to redeeming you, second to sustaining you, finally to making you whole one day. You have all the resources of the Father at your disposal. It does not mean you can give him a laundry list of things. I need a new car, a cashmere sweater. Are those still cool? I don't even know. (laughs) Next week, cashmere sweater day. It doesn't mean you can just ask for anything you want. But it does mean that you have a father who is willing to give and has demonstrated he is for your good. You have the ear of the father, the presence of the father. You have the resources of the father. And I think this is the major point of Romans chapter 8. This is the benefit of the session. This is why this little verse, we took it from here. Why? More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God. Why is that tucked in the middle of them encountering persecution and suffering and wondering, are we going to be separated? We're like sheep who every day are being slaughtered, they say. The confidence that you have, that you will not be overcome by the world. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. You are more than conquerors. What's your confidence for that? Your confidence is that Jesus has gone before you. He has established your place at the right hand of God and he will bring you there. You know what this means? This means that any place you attempt to put your stability in life is sand and will wash away. It means that one day the sun will burn out and be gone. You will be stable in Christ. You have a stronger more beautiful standing before God than the universe itself. You know that? That's what it means. It means that we can live our lives selflessly. It means that we can risk. It means that we can set down our striving and our ego and being made much of because God has already done everything, everything necessary to validate you in his eyes forever. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? As if Paul would say, he's at the right hand of God. Nothing. What shall separate you, doubting, discouraged, faithless Christian? Nothing. Christ Jesus prays for you. He intercedes for you. You are held You have the stability of the very Son of God. I think that's the point of the session of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you more and more and more and more to begin to cherish all aspects of Jesus' saving work. I love, like let's throw the biggest party ever. 
Easter last week? Like, yes, let's, let's do it again next year. Like, as though that's our choice. Hey, what do you guys think? I was thinking next year, put Easter on the calendar again. Not, like, I, want you to, I want you to revel in the past of what Jesus has done for you. Of course. And rehearse it so that you can invite people to that hope. I think more and more, the next two weeks, we're going to look at the future, what Jesus will do for us. But the day-to-day, hour-to-hour worship experience with God is going to be predicated on whether or not we embrace who Jesus is for us now. Jesus is, is, is. He's for you. Let me pray for you.